Gen XYZ, Gen Sexy, <laughs> all kinds of like plays on it. You know, with the publishers, we're like, hey, what do we want to call this thing? We have, you know, you throw out all those names and one of them, which ended up being the, uh, the main chapter title to start with was The Devil Stole Sex. And the idea behind it was uh, the devil stole love and when the devil stole love, he stole sex and sexuality. So that was kind of like the first title we were going with. And it's like, oh man, is that going to work? And some people, you know, in the conversation are like, nah, that's not going to work. You know, the devil stole sex. That's like the devil stole Prada, you know, um, there's or love or what, right. So we're, we're knocking these around. And so we came up with this idea, Gen, Generation Z, right? Gen Z and sex. And we're bouncing these titles around. And it just fit together to say Gen Sexy, Sexy Z. And that's where it started out, Gen Sexy Z. <laughs> you know, because that's all the Gen Sex Z. That's how, that's how we, were, we were looking at it. And then it just began, you know, you put it in the hands of the creatives and they just run with it. So it looks like in the title, Gen Sex Y Z, S E in front of X Y Z. Well, the X are the parents, Gen X. The Y are the millennials, the older brothers and sisters of the last section, the Z. So you have uh, sex from the standpoint of the last three generations. Um, you know, one of the big things that we talk about in there is this tsunami, the sexual revolution tsunami that has crashed on the shores of America and left behind it chaos, debris, confusion. So when you look at it that way, that's the title really was shaped out of how do we pull together a understanding of sexual revolutions in each of those Gen X, Gen Y, and Gen Z. It's mostly about teenagers and it's mostly predominantly written for teenagers, but with the language you know that we use but it it has really struck a chord with leaders who are wanting to have that conversation with teenagers and man i, I didn't really plan it this way but parents who have just uh, i had two parents today just out of the blue just got your book can't wait to read it tuesday you know the reason i wrote the book was because i had stared in into the faces of dozens and dozens and dozens, hundreds over the years of students who are confused about sex and sexuality. I wanted to help teenagers process this incredible um, gift that God has given to us called sex and sexuality. I don't think you can define, here, here this is really important. I don't think a teenager can define their identity until they understand their sex and their sexuality. I think it's basic all the way back to Genesis chapter one, chapter two, and chapter three, and then a little bit in Genesis chapter five. It is basic to creation um, that we understand that we are sexual beings and sex beings as much as we are anything else, spiritual, physical, you know, social, mental, <laughs> all of that, emotional. So. I, I felt like if I could just help teenagers understand this 
aspect of their life, they'll be so much healthier. Reason is because uh, I have a younger brother who is gay, and we've had those conversations, and for uh, a couple of decades now, he's three years younger than me, and we, we have an incredible relationship. But I wanted to help other people go through processing that, and so we deal with fam family sexuality and, and all of that too. And how does that, if it does? <laughs> change relationships when somebody finds that out. I'm not writing this from somebody who doesn't know what they're not, what they're talking about. You don't pick up this topic and write a book on it. You just don't do that. Our ethic of sexuality is going to come from one of those. Uh, our, our cultural or our scriptural Ethic is what defines our belief in on, on, on sexuality. If we are in culture, living in culture, and that is the main uh, influence on our morality, then culture is going to define sexuality. If, uh, on the other hand, that we spend more time in Scripture, we spend more time biblically, you know, then our worldview is scriptural, not cultural, then we're going to have an ethic or a morality that is based in the scripture. Popularity has created principle. And you got to hear me. Popularity is not principle. Okay. Popularity does not create principle. It honestly gets down to what are you going to build your ethic of sexuality on? Is it going to be populous or principle? Okay. If it's built on populous, it's changing. Have we not proven that? There's nobody listening to, listening to the podcast that can deny that. Culture shifts. And along with it, principles shift. We feel this way in the 60s about something. We feel this way in the 80s about something. But then when OOs hit, then I feel a whole nother way. And now today in the teens and now the 20s, I feel a whole different way. So what happens is when you put your ethic in culture, it's shifting. But when you put your ethic in scripture, it's the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's unchanging. What I found was... As I've looked at certain things in culture from a scriptural perspective, it is people who throw out the supernatural really quick that throw out the scripture. Because I don't think you can separate Christianity from the supernatural. Listen, we aren't living in a Nickelodeon world. We're living in a Stranger Things world. Christianity is supernatural. It is mysterious. You cannot take the supernatural out of Christianity. And so what I've found is a lot of times, often, people will take the supernatural out of Christianity, then they sterilize the Bible or they neutralize the Bible. It is undeniable that we are sexual beings. And what is... What is default with that, what is apparent 
What is inarguable with that is that we don't control that. That's reverberating through listeners right now. We don't control that. We don't control our maleness or our femaleness. Cisgender. We are born male or female. All of the terms that come after that are simply created because of feelings, desires, uh, a lack of identity. The easiest way to say it in understanding identity as a person is to go back to Genesis, where it all started. We could literally stop at Genesis 5 and, and do a mic drop and not have to deal with another text and have enough content to settle the question today on sex and sexuality. It's really simple. Genesis 1, Genesis 2, Genesis 3, and Genesis 5. God created male and female. That's the gender issue. Okay, God created male and female. God created family, told male and female to be married, okay? That creates the sanctity of marriage. So we have the sanctity of gender and now the sanctity of marriage. Place marriage between that man and that woman. Then he dealt with sex and he said, now go have fun, have some pleasure and fill the earth. So we have the perfect model of gender, marriage, and sex. Now hear me. Don't you think that if God, okay, creation intent only, let's, we don't have to bring up Sodom and Gomorrah. We don't have to bring up uh, Song of Solomon. We don't have to bring up Jesus, Paul, John, it's a, Jude. We don't have to bring all of those other texts up. Some of those listeners who are really critical in, in studying sexuality know exactly what I just said by mentioning those people. We could stop right at Moses and drop the mic and say, study that. Because here is the perfect model of gender, family, uh, marriage between man and a woman, and then sex and its, and its purpose. When you look at the rest of the argument today, 2021, Moses covered it. In Genesis, he covered the gender issue, he covered the marriage issue, and he covered the sex issue. Don't you think that if God felt like there was this other great expression for sex, whether that was, hear me, sex with beasts, sex with your kids or family, or sex between, you know, a man and a man, a woman and a woman, sex and orgies, etc. okay? Don't you think that if those things were okay, God would have defined that for us also?